Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is our traditional Palm Sunday service, and uh, in churches all around this world today, what we would be doing is celebrating the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ as he came into Jerusalem, and we would be waving palm branches, and if we were back there 2,000 years ago, what we would be doing is waving these palm branches and laying our coats down and thinking about the Savior coming victoriously here into Jerusalem as our conquering king. And we would be crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And even as these people were going through great trials and troubles, and they they were hoping for a Savior that was going to conquer their Roman authorities, we're going through trials and troubles ourselves, and we need desperately to be able to worship Christ and, and to magnify Him. So I pray today that we would be able to do that. That Passion Sunday, that that Sunday that began this movement towards the cross and what Jesus was doing as he's marching towards Jerusalem, marching towards this cross step by step throughout this week. And what we're going to find is that he's going to do a series of miracles. We're going to find that he is going to meet with his apostles and his disciples. And he is going to have times of prayer with his people. He's going to tell us a whole lot about fears and insecurities as he's speaking to his disciples in their, in their fears and their insecurities. And we desperately need to know the same. Perhaps you're sitting here today gripped with some levels of fear. Maybe as you're sitting here, you're finding yourself gripped with fear and anxiety and worry. And maybe you're feeling alone and captured today. Many people are feeling that way. Maybe you're afraid of what's happening out there is going to come in here and that you're going to have to deal with those insecurities. You're not alone. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated today. And and fear is this interesting thing because fear is this dominating thing that has a tendency to give us this reaction to alarm of stressors and struggles that are around us. And anxiety is underneath the surface for so many people. But deeper than that is this issue of worry. Worry is this mindset, this mental action that we have that we are so focused on the things that are happening around us and we're dominated by that. And what we want to do is to control those things and we can't today. Perhaps you're feeling that way. What I can tell you is this, that fear and anxiety and worry, what they do is they tell you that this world is so challenging and that this world is dangerous, and this world is problematic and painful, which it is in some ways. But what it tells you as well is that you do not have the capability to cope with it. And for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not the truth. That we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have his word, and we have the Son with us today. We have the ability to pray with one another and to to communicate with one another and to be there for one another. So I pray today that perhaps as you're going through your pain and as you're going through your fears and maybe you're going through your trials right now, I want you to know that Jesus feels your pain. I want you to know that Jesus is acquainted with grief. We're going to be looking, and you can turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 52. And right at the end of Isaiah chapter 52, we're going to be talking about God's answer to our greatest struggle, God's answer to our greatest problem. The answer of your fear is God's love. That that God is, Jesus is acquainted with your sufferings and Jesus is a man of sorrows as we are going to see in this passage. He knows grief, he knows trials, he knows troubles, he wept with us. 
He empathizes with us. Scripture tells us that he sympathizes with us. He has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God knows you. He's aware of you. He is compassionate. He hears you. I want you to know that truth today. Because that truth needs to rescue us. So I I pray right now, and I want to pray a little bit extended for a number of the people that are out there right now that are going through trials and troubles. I want to pray for those that are trying to help us, the medical professionals. I want to pray for those that are out there today in the stores and that, that are there opening their stores so that we can come in and get food. I, I want to pray for our government leaders. I, I want to pray for those that have never trusted in God today that maybe through the fears that they're going through, that they may recognize that there is a Savior that can rescue you and that can redeem you and can save you. So would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we, we pray and we thank you for the fact that you are a God of amazing grace and a God of amazing kindness and a God of amazing goodness. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you hear the cries of the sick and those that are sorrowing today. You hear their pains, Lord. You know those that are sick and suffering. And I pray that you would bring healing and restoration to them, Lord. I pray that you would bring comfort to them. Lord, I pray for the medical professionals, those people that are on the front lines, the EMTs, the police officers, the firemen, all, all those people that are out there that are trying to serve us. And, and the people that are in the stores today, Father, that, that are in the stores today so that we can get food and get the things that we need. Father, I pray for them today. Lord, I pray for our, our provision, Father. I hear from doctors that they may not have the provisions that they need. Lord, I pray that you would bring the provisions and the supplies in. I pray that no person's life will be lost because they do not have the supplies that they need. Lord, I pray right now for our local, our governmental, our, our national leaders, the global leaders, because this pandemic has gone across the world, Lord. I pray that you would give them wisdom that is beyond their wisdom. I pray for the medical professionals, the scientists that are going to come up with the way to cure this disease, can cure this virus, Lord. I pray for families today. So much pressure is on families today, Father. So much pain is there, Father. They worry about their finances. They worry about their relational stability. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to bring families together and strengthen them by your strength. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you. Lord, I pray that they would come to a place where they would hear the good news of your gospel about your son. And as they are fearing a pandemic, as they are fearing a virus, I pray that they would find their rest in you, their rest in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to move past our pain to the promise of Christ. Help us to move past our fears to faith. Help us to move past our worries to worship. And help us to bring glory and honor and majesty to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, on that day when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, now it's Thursday night, and he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's speaking to his apostles, and as he's speaking to his his disciples there, he is counseling them, and he is saying, do not be troubled, do not be afraid. He said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. Let not your hearts be troubled. Never Let them be afraid.
What a wonderful counsel for God. He says in John 16, he said, I, I said these things to you that these things are going to happen. All the suffering, all the troubles, all the trials, that in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, take heart. I have overcome the world. John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who Jesus loved, said this. He said, Greater love hath no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. That, that God wants to let you know that there are fearful things that you're going to go through on this earth. But the greatest fear that we are going to have is even not life or sickness. The greatest issue that we will have to deal with is that we will one day stand before a God who we need to answer to. And, and what God is saying to us through what he has done in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is this. That I have provided you a way where there seems to be no way. I have provided you an answer to your fears. I have provided you an answer to your difficulties. And my answer is found in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came here not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you trust in him today? See, the greatest love that God could ever display to you and to me is this. Greatest love hath no one this, that God, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for his people. So I want you to hear this today. All the perceptions that are out there and all the voices that are out there that are trying to get you to think things and to ponder in things. And as you turn on TV station after TV station, radio station after radio station, your mind is going to get dragged away. And what I want you to do today is I want you to hear a passage that is probably so very familiar to you. A passage that you have heard so many times if you've been in church. A passage that we will use in communion service often. But I want you to hear it again in a new way. I want you to become so overwhelmed with what Christ has done for you that you will hear the other voices going aside. I want you to hear those voices calm down, and I want you to hear the voice of God raise up in your life. I want you to know that the answer to your greatest fear is a greater love. And the greater love is found here in Isaiah chapter 52. He says this in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant like a root out of the ground he had no form or majesty that we should look on him no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray? Lord, I pray that as we begin and as we hear this message, I pray that we would see your son anew. I pray that we would marvel at what you've done for us. Help us to magnify him and help us to bring glory and honor to his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know that every element of your salvation, it was planned by the Father, it was purchased by the Son, it was promised by the Holy Spirit. I I want you to hear that today. It's a simple outline of this message. Five sections, three verses each. Five sections, three sections each. It begins at the end of chapter 52, and it goes through the end of chapter 53. It's a very bad break um, for a chapter division. The chapter division starts here at verse 1, but it really should have gone back to chapter 53, verse 13. And what we see here is a prelude. And he begins with this prelude, and there are two things that he wants to bring out to us. As, the, as Isaiah's writing this, he is telling us that Jesus Christ has been supremely exalted. Jesus Christ has been supremely exalted, and he has been horrendously humiliated. First, he tells us that he has been supremely exalted. He is almost looking at the end of the story here. Jesus Christ was exalted before as the second person in the Trinity, and now he comes here in human form 2,000 years ago. And Isaiah is writing here to look at the future after Jesus Christ has won his victory. And he's saying that, behold, my servant has acted wisely. That basically means he's prospered, he's succeeded. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. What an amazing thing it is about God, uh, God the Son, that he is high and lifted up and exalted. We, we hear back in Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah similarly talked about the Lord Jesus Christ in this way. See, this is something that happened 2,000 years ago in the person of Christ, but I want you to know that Isaiah is writing 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look back today, it's 2,700 years as Jesus, is, his story is being told here. He's been supremely exalted. But the work of Christ is that he is supremely exalted, but he has been horrendously humiliated. Horrendously humiliated. Verses 14 and 15, you'll see it here. He says, and many were astonished at you. They, they were appalled at the servant. What were they appalled at? His appearance. His appearance was so marred. He, he, was, he was cruelly beaten. He was under this vicious beating, he, he hardly looked like a human being. It says he was marred beyond human resemblance. Can you imagine what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for us? Something that has been someone that is so high and exalted and lifted up has now been marred beyond human semblance. He's beyond form of the children of mankind. He doesn't even look human right now. Jesus Christ endured this physical torment. He was horrendously humiliated to bring his people to faith. In verse 15, it says what? It says, so he shall sprinkle many nations. Sprinkle what? Jesus Christ was a priest. He was prophet. He was priest. He was king. But in his priestly work, what he is doing is he's pouring out his blood. The priest of the Old Testament would pour out the blood of an animal. But Jesus Christ, the ultimate mediator, would pour out his own blood 
for you if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He has poured out his blood on many nations. The good news of the gospel did not just stay there with the people, the Jewish people. It went out to Gentiles, people all around the world. Every tongue, every people will be sprinkled by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And kings, of major kings, will shut their mouths before him. And they see... And they're overwhelmed, this cleansing that Jesus Christ brings. So the prelude that Isaiah says is this, that Jesus Christ was supremely exalted, but he was also horrendously humiliated. And then he goes into chapter 53. In the first three verses, I find here that Jesus Christ endured rejection. Jesus Christ endured rejection. See it here with me. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's believed this? Well, those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful remnant, will hear and believe. But for the vast majority of this world, they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's a general disbelief of the Lord Jesus Christ today. All the miracles that he performed during his time, all the things that he said, even raising Lazarus from the dead the week before was not enough to convince people to trust in him. They refused to believe, and that is the same thing today. Maybe as you sit here this morning and hear us talk about what Jesus Christ did for you, you have a choice. Are you going to choose to believe upon him as your Lord and Savior or not? And the reality is that so many people hear this story. They may come to a service on Palm Sunday. They may come on Easter. They may come on Christmas. But have you come to Christ? That's really the issue. That Jesus Christ has been rejected. You see here in verse 2, he says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus did not glow, as one, one pastor said. Jesus did not glow uh, except in the transfiguration. Jesus grew up just normal. Jesus was born in a manger. He worked in a carpenter shop. He had no stately form. He was not a, 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 a a person who lived like a kingly life or majesty. People did not even see his appearance. Jesus Christ was rejected because he did not, his message was not heard. Jesus Christ was rejected because of his appearance. But Jesus Christ was rejected in his reception, verse 53, in, uh, 53 verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Maybe you're familiar with that hymn, and it's one of my favorite hymns. It goes this way, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Is that the Savior that you know today? The sad reality is that is the Savior. He is the man of sorrow. What kind of sorrow? His sorrow came because of sin. He felt the presence of sin, the suffering, the death, the sickness, the disease, that this precious one walked on earth, and he saw all of that, and it grieved him. It broke him. It hurt him. And he felt grief upon grief upon grief upon grief. And he's grieving with you today. 
He knows your pain. He knows the struggles and the trials that you're going through. Jesus Christ was not worthy of the normal honor. Jesus Christ was rejected by humanity. Yes, there were thousands upon thousands of people that were there and maybe thousands upon thousands of people that were there in the triumphal entry, but there were only 120 in the upper room. There were very few with him at the cross, but his true people was very small because he was normally enduring rejection. But there's a second thing I want you to hear in this gospel message, that he didn't just endure rejection, but in verses 4 through 6, he took our place. This is really the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of salvation, that Jesus Christ took our place. He stood in your place. In verse 4, he said this, Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. In, in Hebrew writing, they would use this idea of parallelism. And so what they're doing with this parallelism is they want to express in a fuller color, in a deeper way, what he's trying to get at. So look at how he's repeating himself. He said, surely he bore our griefs, and then what did he do? He carried our sorrows. He wants to expand his point. And this mechanism is used throughout the Old Testament. You probably have seen it so many times you don't even catch it. But what he's trying to do is to intensify what Christ did for his people. He carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. How many griefs are you going through today? And, and how many sorrows are you going through today? It goes on here and says, yet we esteem him smitten, stricken by God, and afflicted. This is, this is mind-blowing for us when you think about it. The actions that God, Christ, went through for you was that Christ took your grief, Christ took your sorrow, Christ took your punishment, and he was beaten, stricken, afflicted by God. He substituted himself for you and for me. See, he bears our weight. He carries our sorrows. He did that by substituting us for us. See, God's judgment that should have fallen upon us was placed upon Christ. That should ring good news for us, even as we're going through the struggles around us. The greatest news is that Jesus Christ bore your punishment if you trust in him. And who did he do that? He did that for us. Look at the words here. It says, our grief and our sorrow. And he even goes further in verse 5. He says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. You know, in my Bible, what I did was I just took those two those words, the, the plural words of us and we and our, and then the singular word of he, his, that Jesus Christ alone took that for you and for me. That he bore this. This is the servant who came here. The servant, not to a nation. This is not a nation. This is one servant that is coming here, and he was crushed for us. At the heart of the gospel is this, that we have a dilemma. Yes, we want to live this life, and yes, we want to live a long life. And that is what our desire is, and I pray that for every person available. But the issue is this, that every single one of us is one day going to stand before God and have to give an account. And, and what God is promising us here is this, that there is a way where we can stand before God where we don't have to stand under his punishment any longer. And Jesus Christ took our place. 
He was pierced. He was crushed. He was chastised. He was wounded so that we can have, what does it say here? Peace. Isn't that what you desperately want today? Peace. I, I want shalom, as we would say in the Old Testament. Shalom. Peace. And he wants to provide healing, not just physical healing. Primarily, this is not primarily about physical healing. It's about the spiritual healing that you could be born again because of Christ. So in verse, 40, uh, verse 4, we see his actions. Verse 5, we see he did it for us. But verse 6, I want you to hear that it was our guilt, not his own. See what it says in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are pretty stupid. They, they go off and they get themselves in trouble like we do. They will find themselves being, um, uh, doing things that will get themselves in trouble. They will find themselves really needing help. They can't find food on their own. Sheep need a shepherd. And we are like that. We, we are all. And I want you to hear that word all. All of us. Every single person born in this world, every single person in this world is a sheep that has gone astray. And we've turned everyone to our own way. Not God. Not God's way, our own way. And the Lord, the Father, has laid on him the Lord Jesus Christ, this very special, this sinless, this substitutionary one, the sins of us all, the iniquity of us all. Really, this is the confession of the believer, this verse. It says that we are confessing that we are sheep that have gone astray. We are confessing that we need a shepherd. We are confessing that we have turned our own way. We desperately need a Savior. We see that the Lord has laid upon his son our iniquity, our sin, our punishment. Jesus Christ was rejected. Jesus Christ took our place. But then Jesus Christ, in verse 7, humbly submitted to the Father. Look here with me in verse 7. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Amazing. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now some would say that this is prophecy can't be about Jesus because Jesus talked. Jesus talked to the, to the courts and Jesus talked to Pilate, but that's not what this passage is about. He opened his mouth, but he didn't open his mouth in his defense. He didn't open his mouth in complaint. He didn't open his mouth in protest. He bore the judgment. Yes, he even prayed to his father, God, is there another way? And when his father said no, he says, not my will, let your will be done. He humbly submitted to this plan. Jesus did answer Pilate, but he did not defend himself. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed that he would honor his Father. We see that as he was oppressed, this is also thinking about the trials that he went through. He went through six successive trials, three Jewish trials, three Roman trials, and in each one of these trials, he is going to be attacked There's going to be a miscarriage of justice. We see it here in verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. That means he he died. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, death, out of the land of the living, stricken for who? The transgressions of his people. 
Isaiah's writing this 700 years before what Christ was going to go through, the oppression, the abuse, the trials and the troubles he was going to go through. Isaiah's prophesying about them 700 years before, amazingly. I want you to know that Jesus Christ literally died for sinners. He, he bore the wrath of God for their sin. He took his last breath. I want you to know that Jesus Christ was not a victim. He was going to be an ultimate victor. He says, no one takes my life, I give it. But Jesus Christ suffered a miscarriage of justice. And Jesus Christ died. In verse 9, we see that Jesus Christ was buried. And they made his grave with the wicked. Jesus Christ has on his right hand and on his left hand two thieves, two two people that deserve to die. But Jesus Christ, the perfect one, did not deserve to die. And he made his grave with the wicked. What they would have done was to thrown him into a potter's field. But Jesus, his grave was with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea, a, a silent believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, had heard the gospel message from Jesus, and he had believed upon Jesus. And he went to Pilate, and he says, I want Jesus' body. And he was buried with among the rich. And the amazing thing is this. He died even though he did no violence. He died even though he spoke no deceit. Why? Because he bore your pain. He bore your sin. He bore God's wrath for you. And for me. So Jesus Christ was enduring rejection. And Jesus Christ took our place. And Jesus Christ humbly submitted. But Jesus Christ accomplished his redeeming work. He accomplished his redeeming work. Look here in verse 10. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord. It pleased the Lord. It was God's plan to send his son. Yes, humanity sinned in putting Christ on the cross. Yes, there was a miscarriage of justice, but God had a bigger plan that he was going to work above and through and around their sin to bring about salvation for his people. See, God can cause all things to work together for good. That God can take the sin of humanity and bring about an amazing hope of freedom. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Hear those words. He has been put to grief. But then I want you to hear that Jesus Christ did this voluntarily for you. It says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, that Jesus Christ did this willingly. He was not dragged to this cross. He went there. He took this upon himself for you. And for me, you know, I wonder in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, was he fearing death, the physical death? I really don't think so. Many people had died the way Jesus Christ had died. Many people had been scourged the way Jesus Christ was scourged. No one wants to endure that physical pain. What Jesus was against and what he was concerned about, I should say, was bearing the wrath of God. This pure one was going to become a sin object in God's eyes, and that my sin was going to be poured upon him. And Jesus Christ knew he was going to be crushed by his father, but he made himself a willing offering. And the beauty that I see here of this this horrific work that was going to be done against Christ and what Christ was going to do to rescue us, we see the hope of the resurrection. It says, he shall see his offspring. 
if he has offspring, it is a telltale sign that he has been resurrected. He has offspring, and then it says he will prolong his days. His, his days will be forever and ever and ever. And then the Father will prosper him in his land that he will give him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ accomplished his saving mission. One of his last words, it is what? Finished. I've accomplished this for my people. Verse 11 says this, Out of the anguish, the Gethsemane, the Calvary of his soul, he shall see, once again resurrected, and be satisfied, satiated, fully satisfied. He has finished his work. And the beauty of the gospel is right here. It says this, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. See, the dilemma that you and I have is this, that we are all like sheep who've gone astray. And the dilemma that we have is this, that we are going to have to stand before God and have to give an account. But what God has done for us in Christ is that Christ lived an act of obedience. That's what theologians call it, where he lived righteously, step by step, day by day. And then his passive obedience, as he died on the cross for you, he fulfilled all righteousness. So this great exchange occurs that when Jesus died on the cross, he bore our penalty. And that when we come to Christ, we receive his righteousness. He accomplished his saving work here. The last verse is this. Oh, victory in Jesus. You remember that song? Here's the song here. Therefore, I, the Father, will divide him, the Son, a portion of many. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong. And because he poured out voluntarily, no one takes my life. Jesus Christ gave himself, made himself no reputation. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He identified himself with us sinners. And he bore our sins, the sins of many. And he is seeking to make intercession for you today. So I want you to hear this. The fears and the troubles and the trials that we are going through are great. Don't misunderstand me, but there's an eternal thing that we need to deal with. I want you to focus your attention on a Savior who loves you. See, the answer to your fear is love. Dominating your mind with the love of Christ. Dominating your mind with the love of a Father who would send His Son for you. Dominating your mind with the fact that you are forgiven and free in Him. I guess the only last thing I want you to consider is this. All of this is true for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, maybe you have sat in many Palm Sunday services, maybe many Christmas services, maybe many Resurrection Sunday services, and maybe you have heard a good news of the gospel of grace. And today, maybe you're fearing about a pandemic, or maybe you're fearing about life and death and sickness. What I want you to know is this. You can have a peace eternally, It surpasses all understanding. And it comes from faith in Christ. And faith is not just knowing facts about the gospel. And faith is not just agreeing with the gospel. Faith is internalizing it, making it personal. It is turning from sin and turning to Christ alone. It is placing your full hope upon him. Because it is Christ alone that our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, our song. He's the cornerstone. He's the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears 
are stilled and striving ceases. He's your comforter. He's your all in all. Here in the love of Christ, we stand. So I pray today, if you have never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray today would be the day of your salvation. If you are fearing, I pray that you would reach out to us. Call our church. Speak to somebody that you know. And hear the good news of the gospel. And when your mind gets so panicked about the things that are happening, turn off the TV and open Isaiah 53. And hear what Christ has done for you if you trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, in our fears, we have a tendency to magnify the things that are around us. That's what fear does. It magnifies. It elevates. It makes things big. And Father, as we hear the news and we hear numbers and we hear all of these things, we get ourselves so panicked and so worrying and so stressed and so anxious. And Lord, sometimes what we need to do is just turn that off and then turn your gospel on in our minds. We need to hear again of a God that we, could, we can trust in that is absolutely sovereign. We need to hear of a God who is infinite in his wisdom. We need to hear of a God who is perfect in his love. We need to hear of a God who is present with you. We need to hear of a God who is the ultimate provision. We need to hear of a God who is preserving in his grace. And all of that has been purchased by your precious son. So I pray today that you would open the eyes of many to hear their need for your son. And I pray that they would bend their knee to him. And for the many of us that do know him. Help us to honor him. Help us to worship him. Help us to magnify him. And help us to reverence him. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Blessings.